Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, before I begin, this show is sponsored. Wait, it's not. Wow, this is all new. It's not sponsored. I know what you're thinking. First of all, where are the other guys' voices? Second of all, what the hell did you do to the sponsors to piss them off so much that they left your show? No, it's not like that. I promise. And I'll explain here in a minute. Hey, everybody, welcome to... Do I say another episode of the Pack Filler? I probably do. Been around since 1999, so I guess I could keep saying it's still around. I'm Pat Bulger in the Pack Filler Studios. I'm all alone as I am with all of my usual interviews... And that is where this this podcast has kind of taken a little bit of a branch, a little fork in the road, the normal silliness that happens on once a week within these studios. Um, I, I decided to kind of split that in the interviews. If you've been listening to the show for any length of time, you know I've been fortunate enough to have the opportunity to, I, I guess I'm going to just say it, speak to many of my heroes. And uh, this is without a doubt been a the main reason why I've done this podcast um, the opportunity to talk to some of the people you had on your walls when you were young when you were looking up to with the wheels you were chasing down when you were a kid on your bike out training and when I say kid I sometimes mean a 50 some odd year old kid and uh, so the pack filler interviews have been a part of this podcast since the beginning but I decided since the consistency of the show has been so much higher that I would separate the regular Pack Filler podcast from the Pack Filler interviews, and that's where this is officially kicking off. So, no, not much is really changing. I'm just basically calling it different, something different, and I'm releasing it on a different time. The regular shows are released on Tuesdays or whatever night of the week we record them. These come um, probably a little bit more infrequently because um, you know, it's, it's, people are busy, and it's hard to line up some of these these uh, these interviews and make them happen throughout throughout the year and uh, but fortunately every so once in a while I get through to somebody or to somebody's assistant or whatever it might be and I get to talk to these people 
Um, and if, like I said, if, if you haven't had an opportunity to listen to some of the past interviews, not to toot my own horn because I try not to do all the talking, but it's it, there are a lot of really cool names that I've been able to chat with over the years. And I, there will be a, sec, a separate page on the website with the majority of those listed so you guys can track them down and, and hear me trying not to sound like Chris Farley from the Saturday Night Live days where he's just kind of kind of starstruck and uh you know, i've been doing this for a long time and i got to admit i still love that i get butterflies before talking to some of the great greats of the sport and so uh there you are and this is without question one of those ones um it's so nice to talk to people who have been involved in the sport but sometimes it's really cool to be talking to people who are still in the trenches and uh today's guest is definitely one of those if you uh watch bike racing road bike racing at all you have seen this guy um, at the front uh, doing a lion's share of the work, especially in the closing kilometers. The guy has um, the guy has a tank. He's got afterburners, man, and he's he's one of the best leadout men in the business. And he's also a world champion multiple times over on the track. And so um, I, it was so great to catch up with him after his incredible ride at the Tour de France this year, and to catch him before his final few races that are coming up um, of uh, not of his career but of this season, riding for uh, the great uh, Dakota Quick Step Squad. You probably know him as the guy who's always in the national champions jersey. You know him as Michael Morkoff. So without further ado, Michael Morkoff on the pack filler. All right, today's guest is a multi-time national champion of Denmark. He's the three-time world champion on the track and highly regarded as one of the best lead-out riders in the professional peloton, riding for the Wolfpack itself. To coin a quick step, let's welcome to the show Michael Morkoff. How are you, sir? Hello. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm all fine. Now recovered <laughs> after the Twitter France. Oh, my gosh. Um, what a great performance that was. Congratulations on an incredible tour. Yeah, thank you very much. It was uh, indeed really great. And um, I, I can only imagine your reaction off of just from the team, also the Worlds this weekend, seeing Julian pull off what he pulled off. Absolutely. That was uh, fantastic as a, as a teammate and as a friend uh, to see Julian win the World Championships on, on Sunday. Uh, we all knew it was a really big goal for him this year, uh, maybe even a bigger goal than the Tour de France itself. Um, so... For him to win that, also after the disappointment of uh, the Worlds was moved from Switzerland, which was already a, a Paco who, who suited him really well. Um, but yeah, it turned out that the Paco in Italy also worked well for him. Incredibly at that, that's for sure. Um, so, And also, I, I should not neglect congratulating you on your World Championship in, in Berlin on the Madison. Yeah, thank you. Um, obviously, uh, the track cycling is something that I do a little bit beside, uh, kind of in my my spare time as a as a pro bike rider on the road, um, and that's really where I um, hunt and and also manage to achieve uh, my personal goals um, in terms of yeah becoming world champion and and. Also for this year, but now uh, in in twenty one instead uh, chasing the Olympic uh, gold medal in in the Madison too. So that is definitely still on the on the schedule for you. 
absolutely it's a it's a huge dream for me um and and obviously with our uh, world championships uh, early this year yeah. uh, it just confirmed that uh, that it's really possible to um to to take a medal and and maybe even in the, uh, even the gold at the olympic games so uh, that will be um yeah my biggest dream at this point I know there was a coronavirus scare prior to Worlds this year, forcing you to quarantine at the UAE tour. Um, so, what was that experience like concerning your potentially missing that race? Yeah, it was uh, some uh, some tough days there, waiting uh, before the race because I didn't knew if I was able to race or not. And yeah, I was staying in the hotel uh, just 500 meters away from from the velodrome in Berlin and. And yeah, I decided to stay um, isolated after the news from from Dubai, uh, where I came from, um, about the whole race got uh, into lockdown uh, because of the suspected the coronavirus. And then, yeah, really, uh, luckily, um, they they let me out and let me in uh, at the velodrome just the day before the race. Wow. Um, so yeah, thinking back about it at this point. Uh, I can't believe how how lucky I was uh, to be able to even participate. What has this season been like with with everything? First of all, starting off with the delay because of the virus. I know a lot of people obviously were planning a very specific fitness goals earlier in the season, having to push those back, and then not being able to have the preseason races for training, and now this incredibly condensed season. Um, what is that doing to you, both mentally and physically? Indeed, it's been weird. Um, but on the other hand, uh, as an athlete and especially as a, as a cyclist, as a professional cyclist, um, one of the skills you need the most is to be um, uh, able to, to adapt to whatever changes that you will face. And, and that's that's a life as a professional athlete. Uh, sometimes you work your ass off to to be selected for world championships and and you will not be selected and and your program changed or uh, same coming in let's say you work hard to be selected for tour de france and and you miss the selection and suddenly you have to write the world time stat so i have to say of course the coronavirus is a, is a completely different case than anything else but but as a, as a, a pro athlete you just need to be flexible so you don't see necessarily, first of all, I couldn't imagine having to hang on those types of things because team selections for some of those larger races are, are held almost as late as possible, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I, I tried uh, actually in, in my years as pro, uh, this is my 12th year, and, and four times um, it happened that I was the last one to be um, uh uh, to not be selected for for the Tour de France, so four times I was the last one who was called, uh, maybe a week or ten days before the race actually starts, and then got told that I was not going to France, but uh, I could just um, stay at home in my great shape and <laughs> and wait for next race. So yeah, it's, it, it is a really in this way it's 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 a tough um, tough competition. Does track help with that, being able to have a little bit more independence in terms of getting to specific events and, and qualifying, so to speak? Uh, yeah, in some ways. Um, uh, for example, on the track, um, 
yeah, I always been very good at the Madison and and also the team's pursuit and and obviously if if you're one of the the best in that event, uh, I'm more sure on on being selected. Um, so in terms of of the road racing, it's also because I often been in teams with a lot of good riders, a lot of uh, superstars, and and to be selected on a team who have um, uh, 30 good riders to to choose between, uh, it can sometimes be hard to to be among the eight who is actually participating in the race. You mentioned teams. Um, throughout your career, you've ridden for some of the top ones in the sport, um, Saxo, Katusha, and now now obviously with Dakota Quickstep. Um, how would you describe the differences between those teams and the dynamics of the riders there within? Yeah, I would say that the Saxo, which is a Danish team where I, I turned professional, is, is quite similar to, to the team that I'm on now, Dakota Quickstep. In terms of uh, organization um, level uh, and uh, in terms of quality of riders, um, but yet there's a big difference because uh, when I was with Saxo, it was always um, it was a team who was all about the Tour de France, really focused about yeah. uh, having the best possible team for the Tour and and, and going for an overall victory. Where uh, Tikkun and Quickstep is is a team who is often not going for for gc and and oval in in the big tours but much more going for um hunting stage wins with sprinters um so so there's a, a huge difference so basically all the years i was at saxo we we had from time to time a sprinter but we never had a lead out for example and and this we always have uh with with the current quick step um and then my years with katusha i was um uh, more or less uh, of, a, of a wingman to Alexander Kristoff, um, which I have also a very good personal relationship with. And yeah, I was supporting him in, in classics and sprints. You mentioned relationships. Uh, I, and from somebody on the outside, we we all seem to receive this information about how tight the the team itself is, how close you guys all at least present to be on the outside. Is 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 the wolf pack mentality really a, a true thing about what you guys experience? Are you guys is it a is it more than any of the other teams? I guess I could ask. Absolutely, that's that's hundred percent sure. Uh, the, the 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 wolf pack mentality or the. Just the, the, the team spirit we have in this team is really uh, unique, also compared to um, other teams. Um, I don't really know how it kind of started, but yeah. I think just whenever new riders arriving, they they kind of adapt and manage to to stay in in that that spirit. Um, of course, it's always more easy when you actually have riders who is winning races to keep a good <laughs> momentum and keep um, a good spirit. Um, I, I've been in teams where we didn't win races for several months, and obviously, obviously everybody at, at one point starts to doubt and and look around who who can actually win a race here, you know. Um, but in this in this team, we are so fortunate that um, there's often not many weeks without somebody's popping out winning races. Um, but also. The, the three years I've been with the team is 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 every year coming like new young riders, uh, big talents, and they they just sort of uh, adapt into the really team spirit mentality. We don't have, I don't feel there's so much internal fighting uh, 
like there will be another team. So, um, yeah, very excited to be here and um, love to be a part of uh, of the Wolfpack. Wow. And, and to, to just, as you say, there are so many riders such as yourself that are on such a high level and so many riders at a time who are able to uh, achieve a really good result. One would think that there would be struggles to decide who was definitely going to be you know, the, the one who's protected for a specific event or something, but that, that is not a problem? Um, no, actually not. I mean, everybody know that in a specific race, it's, it's, it's probably where the, the individuals had the, big, the, the greater chance. But uh, on the other hand, I, I always have the feeling that, that everybody wants to be a part of, of a winning race and nobody want to be the selfish one just going for his own results. Um, because we all experience that from time to time uh, you get support and from time to time you are the one who gives support. Um, so there's a there's a huge respect within the team uh, for each other, and 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 that's a that's a really special thing. Absolutely, and and to see it in action is is something that's incredible for us as the, the fans of the sport, um, especially what you were. In terms of what you and, and, and helping Sam achieve the green jersey this year, um, the, a lead-out is so obviously such a proper lead-out takes a, a very large amount of skill. And so what is it about you as a rider that makes you so effective, effective in that discipline? Um, I think I have a lot of uh, uh, good – I have a lot of skills coming from the track. Um mm-hmm. And, and since Madison was was always my my favorite and my main event, um, also I used to say that the Madison is is the most um, uh, complex uh, discipline in, in the world of cycling in terms of you need uh, so many different uh, kind of um, skills to to be good at it. You need uh, to be technical, good on your bike. You need to be tactical. Um, smart you need to be fast uh, like uh, quick towards sprints and you need to have huge uh, endurance and you need to be able to to work together with your your colleague and your teammates um, and understand your opponents so for me I think some of this talents or experience I got through the years on the track at the medicines um, I took it with me uh, in the bunch sprints and it's it seems like it's 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 a good match is reading a race coming into a finish, is it something that just happens uh, naturally or is there a pre-plan that is put into effect or are, do you guys have to be able to improvise and, and, and make do with whatever the situation arises? I mean, coming into the bunch sprints, I, I really put all my faith into my, my instincts um, okay. and my experience. Uh, because of course you can have a lot of ideas coming into the sprint if you want to stay left or right and if you want to look at that team or that sprinter or you want to go early or late there's a tons of opportunities but in the end of the day uh, you need to be able to take the decision in that uh, fraction of a second when you have to take the decision so a lot of things you can't plan um, and that's why um, I just really have to trust my instinct, and and if I'm in a sprint and my instincts tell me that now is the moment to to move or now is the moment to wait, uh, I really trust that 100%. Um, and obviously, when you see it works, you get the confidence also for the for the next time. So it's it's a bit similar 
when you look at the sprinters, um, usually if a sprinter starts to win, he will win uh, a few races in a row uh, because he get this uh, uh, this confident. And building it back up after a crash is obviously a, a large setback, and having to having to do that. Do you find yourself having to help motivate the sprinters themselves, or is it something that's just innate? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. No, I I really enjoy to work with my sprinter, not much more than just uh, leading him out, but but being uh, a, a support for him uh, on the bike and but also off the bike, you know. So kind of reflect on what, how can I build him up um, in terms of uh, trust and 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 confident and and you know, let's say we we did a sprint and and he finished fourth or second, and I would probably try to point out for him uh, what went good and one went bad and and try to find some some confidence uh, for the next sprint so yeah i really enjoy also to to try to work a bit um also mental uh with with the guy with my teammates uh doing the race sam credits you for quite a bit of his success uh especially on on the champs Elysees and the final stage this year um uh what was the the that experience like and and the emotion involving that number one to to arrive in paris with with a teammate in green but also to be so instrumental in that process and also that day well i'm extremely pr- proud to be a part of uh, winning the green jersey in the tour de france first of all from for for a sprinter the green is almost like uh, a yellow is for for a climber um, this is the number one jersey you want to have as a sprinter, and 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 Sagan had have been sitting on it now for so many years. So yeah. to be the first one uh, to to rip it off him is is obviously a, a proud moment. And um, yeah, it was also a long fight doing the all three weeks um, to to secure it. And yeah, obviously uh, Sam also said it himself, but to to win. Uh, on Champs Elysees um, for him personally, but for me as a as a member of the team, uh, is one of the biggest moments in in my career. And I really uh, inside myself, I, I count the victories of Sam like my own. I know it's not um, written on my palmarès, but um, but I'm I'm very proud of uh, the victories we we got with Sam. Wow, 
that's that's interesting to hear. You know, because a lot of people probably think it's a it's a selfless job having to do some of these work to make sure that that somebody achieves their success. But you're you're talking about the fact that you're you're working with them both on and off the bike and and taking a good portion of credit because you ha- you should be taking a, a good chunk of the credit. It takes a ton of work to get that that result at that level. Yeah, absolutely it does. Uh, but I think. Maybe I also kind of um, hit a good spot uh, during the last couple of years. Um, uh, I've been riding for many years. I really found my my niche now, um, uh, being a lead out man. Uh, last couple of years with some of the best sprinters there is in the world, and on the same time, um, I'm making my own results on the track. Like yeah. last year, I was European champion. This year, world champion, uh, winning uh, already. Um, several uh, six days races um so i kind of normally in the winter time uh, fill myself up with um with my own victories at the track and then when i get on the road i'm um i i, I don't need to be super selfish i i have the memories of, of winning on the track and i can go all in for my team uh, without getting the thing the thought that ah it's already five years since i won a race last time you know so yeah. Um, I think for me that's a that's a really good mix. Your career started out on the track, and um, what was it that that put you on that path? Was it a, a family objective or or sport that everybody participated in? What what got you going? Yeah, so when I was a kid, we had the six days of uh, Copenhagen, uh, the track event, and um, and my dad he loved to to watch it, and he he would go there uh, every year to watch it. Um, one, two or three times. Uh, and when I had a certain age, um, he brought me with him. Um, and I remember still the feeling that Tuesday night that he brought me with him to the track after after late night work. And and I went there all alone um, with him. Uh, that was one of my m- most proud moments <laughs> in my life uh, to be there kind of accepted into the, uh, as my, of my dad and into the, to the adult world and and from there i got so fascinated about the track cycling and and the six days uh, and the six days was my dream wow how old were you when that happened i think it was around 10 wow. uh, at that point i was uh, like everyone else playing football uh, uh tons of different sports but um after i got that fascination of of the six days of the speed of the the bike the equipments uh, the riders, uh, the whole show there is in the six-day race. Uh, I, I went all in for cycling. Wow, what what was the moment when you thought to yourself, "I can do this. This is something I could potentially earn a living." Yeah, it's it's pretty clear for me actually, um, uh, because I, I never thought I would be any good at it. Because as a kid, I was never really good. I was always fighting just to to get a prize and then mm. finishing top 10 or, or, or some something like that and just always trying to catch up um, but when I became junior uh, on the track I sort of started to be in a mix for like national championships medals and stuff um, and then when I turned the lead uh, my first year as a lead I, I became national champion in, in the point race and when I won that point race I, I just got the feeling that this could actually go somewhere um, and then I really uh, progressed, uh, and I started to 
uh, get my first contracts as, as professional six-day rider. Um, on the same time, I was educating myself as a carpenter. So I finished that study. Uh, it took me four years. Uh, I finished in 2005 with that uh, as a carpenter. And then um, I was professional on my bike ever since. Wow. Um, and, and you're saying ever since, and you're talking about the season that, that the road season is so long within itself. And then the track season is, is added to that. Um, what keeps you going? What keeps you motivated to stay at such a high level for throughout the season and throughout so many seasons? Yeah, well, I just love to ride my bike. Uh, <laughs> even today I was just riding, uh, doing my training. I just loved it. And, and, you know, Actually, today I, I had this this thought that um, wow, a lot of people are smiling to me today, uh, and then I realized that it was because I was smiling myself all the time. Um, so that feeling of that I'm just smiling whenever I ride my bike. Obviously, not when I'm doing efforts or when I'm uh, climbing a, a climb in the Tour de France, but I really enjoy uh, to be on the bike. Uh, I love everything about the world of cycling, uh, the equipment, the races. Uh, my colleagues and the competition and yeah i had many years where i did basically full road season and just having maybe not even a break and then getting straight into full track uh, season all the winter and then getting straight straight back on the road so um yeah just going from race to race and really enjoy it not to use the old cliche, but what do they say? Uh, find something you love and get paid to do it, and you'll never have a bad day of work in your life, or something like that. I don't know what they're saying. You know, it's uh... no, it it fits really well. <laughs> I yeah, it's uh, I'm 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 actually really proud and and happy that in my age, as a 35 years old, uh, I I can say that I'm still enjoying every day on the bike, even though it's uh, it's raining sometimes. Yeah. Uh, what's what's next for you in this insanely hectic season? Uh, the next for me is actually I had had a few weeks of of, of break from racing now um, after the Tour de France, and uh, the next one will be the the classic in um, in Belgium. It's it's a smaller classic, but it's a classic for the sprinters called the Shelter Prize. Yeah, and and after that I will be on I will be in in Spain for the Vuelta. So. Um, yeah, I'm going to reach a good amount of race days, even though there wasn't many races this year. Yeah. Any personal objectives for those events that you have or, or any team objectives you would like to, other than flat-out winning? <laughs> yeah, well, um, my objective is, is is to bring my sprinter for victories. And, and I know that in Schilder Price we'll go there with, with Sam. And I can only imagine that he will be... Uh, super motivated after having having won the green in the Tour de France so and also uh, in in Price actually I was leading out the last two years uh, Fabio Jakobsen for the win so it's a race that that suits us really well yeah. and I hope we can do the same with Sam and and also we'll go with Sam to the Vuelta so hopefully um, a handful of win more this year with Sam would be great wow sprinting's inherently dangerous within itself um, and this season and probably in the last few seasons, we've seen some instances where core safety has become uh, an issue. Um, have, what are your thoughts on, on course safety, especially within these final closing kilometers? And um, what changes, if any, need to be made? Oh, well, I mean, 
uh, to be on the bike and, and especially with the speed that we, we do and, and with the fight and the and the competition there is, it, it will always be super dangerous to, to race your bike. Um, uh, from time to time, we, we see uh, uh, special situations where you can say, okay, this is, here's a, a dangerous uh, passage or a dangerous situation who could be, um, who, who didn't need to be there. Yeah. So uh, it could be like, let's say that the, the barriers on the last K was not straight or there was, dangerous or there was not in a good shape um or it could be that you had an extremely dangerous corner just before the finish line and and stuff like that and and i really hope and, and that's what us riders is really pushing for at the moment that we can get a uh, a solution where we will have a, a committee uh, who could kind of um uh recon um the the stages or the race parkours um, and yeah. before we race them uh, to to minimize these kind of uh, dangerous situations, but um, but to talk about 100% uh, safety, uh, riding our bikes um, that will never happen. Yeah, it it just it surprises me to no end that here we are this far into the development of the sport. It's been around for hundreds of years, and and we're still we're still worrying about course design and the fact that that the course designers aren't aware of of potential hazards before they even set a course it, i i guess i just don't understand yeah um i mean in in some ways not to say that the dangerous part is is, is a nice part of the sport but um a, a big part of the charm i would say with the cycling is also that the cycling is so conservative <laughs> um because basically when you go to belgium and you do a race um if if you go like sixty years back, it would be exactly the same race on exactly the same um, uh, roads, um, maybe not even renewed, and with the exact same barriers and 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 finishing banners and and stuff like that. So um, yeah, it doesn't change much. Um, also, uh, the bike is basically the same. Of course, we we change the the material now instead of steel and aluminium, it's it's carbon, but but it's still the same concept we we are at, at least we are so lucky that now we are wearing a helmet uh, which you <laughs> didn't do um 30 years ago but still we're just wearing a super thin uh, lycra and and stuff like that there's basically no protection um so um yeah the the sport is very conservative and uh, i think it's difficult to to change much and and, and personally i believe that uh, uh, the the security of of the riders is is also a big part um on our own shoulders yeah and and it sounds like the riders are starting to get a little bit more of a voice than they have in years past which is a a definite need it's a definitely need yes and uh, and also yeah we try to to stand more together even though it's it's very difficult because in in the um, in in the heat of a moment and in the situations everybody want to win everybody need to win everybody is is pushed from from the team to deliver results and and and, and you just yeah dig yeah. into the fight but but yeah i really hope that um um of course you can always have um accidents happening but accidents coming out of um of uh, a road in a bad surface or um or a, a poor finishing area or uh, a bad descent or something that should be a void okay absolutely 
So to to just to kind of finish things off, um, I always like to kind of have kind of have a segment where we go, you know, a little bit more kind of behind the lycra, I guess, where we I, I I just came up with that name and it's terrible. But um, you know, in terms of in terms of what life is like off the bike, so what what kind of things do you do when you're not training and preparing and racing? Although it sounds like you're constantly having to do that. Yeah, well, um. I'm a carpenter, educated at carpenter, so um, I like to build houses. Uh, wow. And and actually, this year I spent uh, the 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 Corona break uh, to build a, a new um, garden house uh, to uh, to chill a bit in the sun, back down back in the in the garden. And yeah, I like to uh, work on my bikes. Um, I have two kids, so they take also a lot of time. Um, to I spend a lot of time to enjoy them and and be together with them. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm never bored. <laughs> okay, here come my rapid fire questions. They don't require any major amounts of thought. So, for Michael Morkov, favorite food? If you had a food that you had to pick, sparrows. Sparrows. Wow, beef or pork? That's beef, correct? It's pork. Pork. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, favorite music or band? Oh, that's hard that uh, yeah. pick a pick a few, but I really love uh, Dire Straits and Queens. Oh, really? Very cool. Okay. Uh, favorite place to ride other than your home? I used to live in Tuscany in Italy, um, and I really enjoy to to train there um, in that area and, and in that environment. Okay. Your favorite beverage. So I don't know a beverage. What to is dr- that actually? To drink something to drink. It's the ah, favorite thing to drink. Okay. <laughs> that must be a Belgian beer. Okay, good. Any particular ones? Yeah, there again. There's a few, but okay. you know, yeah. like you never you never went wrong when you took a a, a Leffe Brown. Okay, <laughs> we're we're very large fans of of good Belgian beers here on this podcast. So that's that's a perfect that's cool. answer. Um, your favorite writer that you looked up to when you were younger. Um, Stuart O'Grady, he really? was, uh, he was a writer that I really loved, uh, his style, um, his personality, uh, first and foremost, his, uh, his results on the road and on the track, Olympic, um, Madison champion, uh, stage winner mm-hmm. everywhere, I would say. Um, yeah, he was, uh, he was a writer I, I really enjoy and I also had the opportunity to, to be teammates with him, um, in a few seasons. So, um. He, he's he's really a riot I admired. Very great. Uh, two left. Your favorite track? Is there one that you prefer over others? Uh, yeah, Ghent, Koepke. Yeah. Um, it's a really small track uh, in Ghent in Belgium, uh, 166 meters only. Um, one of the smallest tracks i ever ridden, apart from one time I was in, in Boulder in Colorado where they had a track of, I think, just 110 meters or something in a in a warehouse <laughs> but you wow. could really race there which is for for training <laughs> um but that is uh i mean if you're a cycling fan and you're ever ever on belgium in november the six days of again is something that you really need to to um to see wow okay okay last question and I, you don't necessarily have to answer this one because you probably got sponsor requirements and things like that but if you had to choose between disc brakes or rim brakes which one would you prefer i love the disc brakes you do um, okay 
yeah, I love them since I, I started with them already uh, several years ago. And, and at this point, it works so great uh, with the disc brakes. Um, but uh, when people ask me if they should get on disc brakes, so um, I usually say that um, that if you race uh, high-level international uh, races, I would definitely go for the disc brakes. But if, if you're just training or enjoying yourself or even having local competitions, I would go with rim brakes because for for the most people, it's it's much more handy to, to fix yourself. And um, yeah, the, the hydraulic and, and the discs is getting more uh, complicated for uh, for a person himself to, to maintain it. Yeah, and dealing with wheel changes and things like that. A lot of us, a lot of us normal people can't swap bikes from the top of a car. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's, it's a bit more complicated, but yeah, I mean, when you're racing on the highest level, uh, international, and it's especially in, in the rain, uh, nowadays you get nowhere without the disc brakes. So we have your remaining season now and things like that. So uh, Tokyo is definitely on, on your radar, and I can't wait to see what happens there. Um, how, is there an alteration in preparation that's going on with that now, or is it just carry on as usual? Yeah, we actually did all the preparation uh, for this year. You, you know, we did all the tests, we did all the material testing, uh, the position and testing. Uh, so uh, now it's actually more uh, of a waiting game, uh, waiting period, waiting for next uh, next year and and coming towards August. And then, of course, it's uh, it's about to to build up the shape towards the the seventh of uh, August, where the medicine will be on. Excellent. Well, I can't wait to see it, man, and I can't wait to see your 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 riding for the rest of the season. Um, please know that that what you do for that for the bike for the races themselves is so unbelievable for us to to be a part of and to and to spectate and to see those types of things. And, and boy, do you guys make it exciting! <laughs> cool. Thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate your time, man. Good luck. Good luck. Go get them. Yeah. Thank you. You too. And thanks for having me. So there you have it. I don't know if I should continue to ask the disc brakes versus rim brakes discussion, but I think that kind of settles it right there on on Michael's rapid-fire response to that. Sure, they're great. Sure, they work awesome, but should everybody have them? Well, if you can afford a bike change, sure. <laughs> so there we go. I would like to say this is the first of the Pack Filler interviews, but it's not because I've been doing this for way too long. So it is the first of the new release of the pack filler interviews can i say that i don't know i'm figuring this out as i go along you think after 20 plus years you'd have it figured out but i guess that's what keeps it fresh hey folks like and subscribe and tell a friend about the pack filler and uh and and let's see if we can keep growing this it's been so much fun doing this and i love taking things in new directions and um if you got anybody you'd love to hear on this this segment of the pack filler podcast the pack filler interviews uh drop me a note and let me know there we go. Like, subscribe, rate, I don't know. What else the kids say? I will catch you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I am a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.